0: So I'm going to read through this real quick. Um, My version will sound a little bit different because I'm in the NASB. Um, Starting at chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive other people their offenses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. So, Quick side note, um, not to get too derailed on this, but you'll probably notice that at the end, it doesn't have, um, for yours is the power and the glory, or the forever and ever so. That is, uh, and you'll even notice in your Bible at the bottom, there's a little notation there that that's not always included because it's actually not in the earliest manuscripts that we have. Now, I'm not saying it's not valid. I just wanted to point out why it's not, why it's not there. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the statement itself. And that uh, if you also notice, and this is, like I said, just a little side note here, that at the end of the prayer, Jesus goes right back into talking about forgiveness as the most important part in there. He kind of highlights it. And the other thing that I wanted to make note of in that, and like I said, this is not completely relevant to today, but if you go a couple verses back, this is actually a prayer that he tells you to say by yourself with just you and God. So it's kind of interesting that we've kind of used it differently. So what I wanted to talk about today, and this is going to relate into the Christmas theme, is has God ever ruined your plans? Or at least you thought he ruined your plans, right? Has that ever happened to you? Um, you know, maybe you had a high school sweetheart you were gonna marry, you knew you were gonna marry, and then who knows you're with somebody else for forty years, right? You had a health ailment come up that you never thought would you were gonna do this and that, and then something come up, and you can't do it anymore, right? you were gonna have a different financial situation than what you're in right now, right? Sometimes God steers you a different way, right there are. People that would tell you that you can you can pray for something and you're gonna get it, right? You're gonna get it. Because you're in that relationship with God, and what you ask for, He'll give it to you. And I wanna say that, and it's typically televangelists that'll tell you things like that, that and I'm not putting down the prayer, but what I'm saying is the expectation. If you live your life and pray like that, that whatever you pray for, you're going to get right away. You're setting yourself up for failure, right? God gives us what we need, not necessarily what we want. That is a big difference from I'm going to pray for this and I'm going to get it. You can flip on those TV channels and you'll see them saying, God wants you to be financially successful. God wants you to have... Optimal health, all these things, right? Is it true or not, though? Have you ever prayed for something? Really prayed for something? And then down the road, when you didn't get that, but something else happened, you are thankful for it because of the way things worked out? You know, what's the Garth Brooks song? uh, Unanswered prayers, right? Same concept. So God doesn't ruin your plans. That's how it looks like in the moment when you really want something, He saves your plans because He corrects them, right? He puts them into his plan. Because I just want to emphasize that you know God is not a, he's not a vending machine for prayers, right? For prayers and wants and needs. you know you can't go and tithe two hundred bucks and boom, you're going to get what you wanted kind of thing, right? Or prayer correctly, and then you're going to get exactly what you wanted. That's not always how it works. God has plans that are different than ours, because He's God, right? He has a different view. He has ordained things. We're just living in this timeline. Um, the other day, we were uh, we watched uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." I had never seen the movie all the way through, um, and I just thought that this talks exactly about what happened. And if anybody hasn't seen it, um, of course, those of you that have, you know that George has some definite wants that do not get filled, right? He wanted to leave that town. He wanted to go and get this other job and be successful. He wanted to travel the world. And he was ticked, right? That he was in this crummy position that he could not change. He felt like he had been shorted it almost seems like, right? And then you start seeing, once he's removed from that timeline, how different the world is without George, right? His brother doesn't get saved, right? And without his brother, all those people in the war didn't get saved. All those people in town didn't have a different situation because George was there to help them with the bank. And then he sees that his kids are no longer there either, right? So he starts seeing all of these effects that one person who thought they had a crummy situation had an effect on. And how greatly the world had been changed because he was there. How important he was, right? Right? suddenly his ear problem from saving his brother didn't seem like such a big problem, right? Had a big effect. That is exactly what I'm talking about because George had a plan and God had a different plan. And God's plan was superior as it always is. So is it wrong to pray for something? No, God wants us to pray. God wants us to be in communion with Him. Is it wrong to expect? It could be a maybe a little caveat in there, right? I think it's good to expect that God's will be done. But if we're going just for our own, we might be going down the wrong road there. So, God's will be done. I think that... And now this is a... Like I said, whenever I'm telling you something, I want you to check what I'm telling you because you might come with a different opinion on something. Maybe you search the scriptures and maybe I'm wrong. But a lot of people get this opinion because they go off of John, the book of John, chapter 14, 13 through 14. I'm not sure what the page number is on that one because um, I'm a poor planner. Um, <clears throat> yeah, chapter uh, no, chapter 14, 13 through14 803. 803? okay So what does it say there? It says, "And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it." So, this is where I think context really matters. Because if you just go and read that, you're going to say, Whatever I ask of God, He's going to give me right now. And that's a big, big thought. You know, maybe you're blind in one eye and you say, God, give me a new eye. I asked you, where is it? Right? But I want to to talk about the context of that verse because God is, who is He talking to in there? He is talking to the apostles. Jesus is about to leave the earth. He's about to be crucified. And these apostles are not going to have Him with them physically anymore. Right? So He's telling them, because they're up, They're going to go out and they're going to continue His ministry. And He says that if you ask of something in My name, I will do it for you. Because He knows the kind of things that they're going to ask for. Right? They're going to continue doing miracles in His name. They're going to heal people. And to do things like that, right? And he knows that whatever they ask of him, they will glorify the Father in the type of asking that they're doing. Now, if the if the need if the requirement here is to be an apostle to do these kind of things, I would just warn you that if anybody ever claims they're an apostle, you are dealing with somebody who could be a little dangerous to your faith because an apostle, not a disciple, but an apostle was somebody who had a first-hand interaction, first-hand sight of Jesus Christ. I don't know how anybody could be an apostle nowadays. And you'll see some cults will have that. And they will say, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, follow me, right? It's a dangerous road. And the, the apostles were going to be asking to do things that would validate a message. They were going to do miracles still, right? And that's typically when you look in Scripture, when there are miracles, it typically, maybe not in every circumstance, but typically is to validate a message, to validate a prophet, to something like that, right? And they were going out and they were spreading the name of Jesus Christ, and they were first hand witnesses of Him, and they performed miracles. Now, not to get too technical on it, but obviously we know they didn't perform miracles, but they would ask God, and God would do them. <clears throat> so the apostles were special, I think, and this is, like I said, what could be—you could, you could have a different opinion on this. Maybe I'm wrong on it, but that's how I would interpret that. Because if, if not, you're going to ask God for every single thing that you ever want, and what happens when He tells you no? because he's got something else in mind for you. That could lead you to be a little confused. So back to the original kind of topic here, where we were talking about if God has ever changed or quote-unquote ruined somebody's plans, right? The Christmas story is a really good example of this. And I don't think that we look at it like that enough so in Matthew, and I'm just going to go ahead and read this one. You don't have to, you don't have to follow on this one. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18-25. through 25, We're going to talk about Joseph and Mary because they had plans, right? Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her plan to secretly plan to send her away secretly so it's only a couple sentences but there's actually a lot going on in there so for one thing these two are betrothed they're going to be married we don't exactly know the age of joseph when this was going on some say he was older some say he was younger i don't think it's pertinent to the to the to the talk but if you notice I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute here. They're about to get married, and Mary comes along, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but it was the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's probably like, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and believe you on that one, right? Well, obviously he didn't believe her at first, so he had some suspicion. Because he planned to, as it says, put, send her away. He was going to end the betrothal right there. So he did not believe this story that God just happened to come along and impregnate the woman that I was going to marry, right? Seemed a little suspicious to him. There's a lot involved back then for the Jewish people, and I don't know what it is, how their procedures are now, but with getting married, he had a lot that was going to be vested in this. It wasn't just a simple, hey, run away to Vegas and get married under the little church sign, right? Back then, they had four stages of marriage. It took a long time to get married under the Jewish law. So the first stage, there was like a pledge or a promise. A lot of times they were young. They might have been kids. and They were just pledged to become married. And, and when they got a little bit older, maybe in teenage years, the young man would approach her and he would offer her a cup of wine. And if she accepted that and drank it, then they were kind of moving on to the next step. But they weren't married yet. So you've already got years invested at this point. If this is how it went, they might have met later. But in stage two, this is uh, they live separately. I'm going to go ahead and read off of this a little bit. They read separately, or they live separately, but they, but they are committed to each other. And during this time, the groom is preparing a home. Um, the family is preparing for the wedding. The the wife is preparing for duties that she would have in the home once they are married. So this, this takes a while. Then eventually, after a year or two of this, they're going to come together and they're going to celebrate. But they're still not married just yet. And they're, when they celebrate, we celebrate, we go and we have a night. Everybody watches the ceremony. Then we... Maybe have a little post party there and everybody has a good time. These guys would celebrate for like a week. So can you imagine what a week of celebration would cost a person? Especially if maybe you didn't have a lot of money back then. I mean, this was a big thing. And then after all of that, when they were ready, then they would be married. So at the end of the celebration. So it's a big thing. All of these things are going through Joseph's head. Am I going to go through all of this for somebody who just cheated on me? Somebody who just suddenly magically ended up pregnant, right? And God knows what's going through Joseph's head. He sees that Joseph had these plans and that now Joseph has these doubts. And so we get into verse 20 and it says, But when he had, this, when he had thought this over, so he had been thinking for a while. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save the people, his people from their sins. So Joseph gets a confirmation. Okay, she is impregnated by God. God has told me this, an angel has told me this. No pressure, but he's going to save everybody from their sins. That's, you know, kind of a big thing going on there. So he suddenly was just going to he was going to just marry somebody he must have known and liked. Well, now he's going to have this huge responsibility of helping raise someone who's going to save his entire people from their sins. What a responsibility, right? We got people today that will walk out on a marriage for whatever reason. I mean, there's a lot of fatherless households out there. Joseph was told, you're going to raise a Savior. So he stuck around. So in verse 22, it says, Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translates, translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. And you can imagine... Now maybe Joseph was a man who didn't care what other people thought, but can you imagine what other people thought? These communities weren't quite as large as ours. Well, Joseph, his wife is his wife is pregnant, and it's not his. They said it's God's. You know, there must have been a lot of talk at the water cooler for that one. And Joseph stuck around, and so did Mary. So then we get a little bit more information on the son that Joseph's going to be helping raise in Luke. In Luke chapter two, twenty-five through thirty-five, it says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to and he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed blessed God and said, "Now, Lord, you are letting your bond servant depart in peace, according to your word; for my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples and a light for a light for the revelation for the gentiles and the glory for your people glory of your people Israel and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary behold this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and as a sign to be opposed then we get to a part that sounds a little painful for Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. So, Mary and Joseph, they're going to raise the Savior of their people. Well, guess what? He's also going to be a light to the Gentiles. Okay, a little more pressure there, right? You got to keep this kid safe. And not only that, Mary is now told that she is going to have a severe grief because of this child, right? A sword is going to pierce her own soul as it probably did on Calvary as she watched her child get nailed to a cross, right? So God, He didn't ruin their plans though. He just changed them. They did not plan on raising the Son of God, but they were gifted with the honor of doing so. They did have the stakes raised, though. The danger level was different, right? They had to take this child out of Jerusalem, out of Bethlehem to Egypt before Herod killed him. So things had changed drastically. The plan was different. They had become the most important parents of all time. Right? So, God doesn't always give us what we ask for. Joseph and Mary asked to be married. They got the Son of God instead, right? Well, they did get married, but they got the Son of God included in there. God will change our path. Sometimes it's a subtle change, sometimes it's a major change. Um,. I had a lot of different plans when I was younger that I thought would go through. I had a lot of plans recently that I thought would go through. you know, I moved to Nebraska because I thought I was going to be a railroader for 30 years. Well, I didn't last, right? About a year and a half before that furlough hit. So God can make some changes. And if you get stuck in that moment, you might think that it was something bad, but you have to realize that when we say that prayer, your kingdom come. Your will be done. We're not asking for our will to be done. Because if it was our will, we're going to be wrong all over the place. (laughs) So make your plans with, with God in prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we're supposed to do. Talk to God as often as you can. Just know that when you ask for something, God's wisdom is going to be applied to that request, not your own. Don't be shocked if He directs you somewhere else, if your life takes a sudden turn to something you would have never guessed. Because ours is just to be obedient and to be thankful in the presence of an all-knowing God. That's our place there.